bless, praise, and worship you and magnify you. Thank you, Lord. You're worthy to be praised and adored. We love you. We honor you. We just give this time over to you, Lord. We, we want the reality of Christ in our lives and in our hearts. And if we have to go miles and miles away to a persecuted people to find where your true love resides and where the example and witness for your true love resides, and we will do that, Lord. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen. So we want to welcome our Internet audience again. This is the second session. I hope you had a nice lunch. Yeah, you, if you sat by the, the uh, screen, you could have gone to lunch for a few hours, but uh, you'll get used to the schedule. You can take us with you anywhere. You know, if you have a phone that you can get the Internet on, you can get us there. And uh, But generally, our sessions are broken up into two sessions uh, aside from prayer. We have prayer, which we start around noon, and then our uh, first teaching immediately following that, and then a two or two and a half hour break for lunch, and then we're back at about six in the evening to finish up. So in this afternoon session, we are talking about the persecuted church, and uh, I am so thankful. Uh, I, I really was expressing to God a hunger and thirst for righteousness and for, and I know many of you express the same thing to God. I think you have to get direction from him first, though, because sheep have a tendency to eat almost anything when they're hungry. Anybody will eat almost anything when they're hungry. And we have to be selective again in what we desire and what we want from God. And I think God eventually will lead you to the food that your soul hungers for and that your spirit needs to draw from so that your whole being can be fed. And I really, really uh, love the fact that the Lord has helped us to understand where his love resides. His love resides in the hearts of people who are willing to make sacrifice for him. And uh, that's always been true. Uh, It's true now as it was, as it ever was. Uh, There's something about giving up everything for Christ that God really honors and he'll pour into a person who's willing to forsake everything uh, so that God can be glorified. And when I say everything, I mean everything. There are things that we love dearly that we possess, and we think, oh, my life would be so horrible without that. But just think there are some people who don't have it, and they still love God, and they hold on to God. And so I think it's it's uh, a good example that we find in, in these stories about uh, persecution, Uh, I know I was sharing with Pastor Shirley, and she said that uh, uh, she has been praying to be able to explain to her husband uh, why he he was in Vietnam when they were very newly married. Uh, The first year of their marriage, he was drafted into the army and went to Vietnam. And so now that we've studied the persecuted church all these many years later, she's able now to explain to him why they were really in Vietnam and what happened to that nation after the the forces left and how they've suffered, amen, for Christ. And so uh, the the amount of freedom they have now really is due to the fact that the communists had to release their grip on those people at least for a season uh, and let the gospel in and let freedom come forth there. You see how the enemy fights very hard to hold on to what he's got, but God. 
And so God, God wants to raise up a people who understand his heart and understand his heart for the lost and for the broken and for the, the oppressed. And so we can believe God for all oppression to cease because of the gospel going in. You know, the government may not change much or one day God will overthrow that wicked government, but the gospel will come in and bring freedom to people. And that's what they really, really need. I know many times they persecute church Christians to turn the church away from them. But we see in many of these examples that the people who are uh, arrested and tortured in prison wind up ministering to the very guards that are keeping them imprisoned and winning them over to Christ. So the gospel cannot be stopped. It's never bound. It's always free. And God will always raise up a people to preach his gospel so before we pray i'll i'll do this i'll read you i wanted to read you some meditations from uh one of the books written by um uh mr uh, brother warmbrand who uh, we know was tortured for christ he wrote that book and so let me find it oh yeah okay <laughs> these are uh this is from a book he calls the midnight bride and if you ever want to get these books, they are really worth the $1 investment that it takes to get one because they sell all of their books for $1. Because I, and I know it's God's leading because God wants it in the hands of people so badly because people don't like to read this suffering stuff. Uh, they really don't. They want to read uh, that they can be happy in this life only. And I think it sold us kind of a bill of goods because there's only so much happiness. Of, you know, you're a spirit being. How happy can you be with natural things? There's only so much comfort you're going to get out of that realm of life. That's why it's a blessing sometimes when God withholds things from us. We can see it won't kill us not to have them where we thought it would before. So anyway, um, okay, so let me see. These these meditations, the Midnight Bride, uh, he's taking his teachings from the Song of Solomon, and he's talking about the relationship between Christ and his bride, which, you know, I like his meditations on it because they are real, and they're born out of his searching God through a lot of loneliness and a lot of lonely times that he had. He had nothing, nothing on his mind but to search out God for comfort, for security, and for hope. And so, um, uh, let me see which one. I think I had the one I was supposed to have. I've even started using the bookmarks here on my little tablet. <clears throat> well, let me just start. <clears throat> ah, I'll start with this one. Stop it. Uh, this one is, uh, he's, I think it's, these are 360 days of meditations, or, but this is day seven. And this is what the Lord ministered to him on the topic of holy love. The bride says, now this is Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. So he went through the whole book of the Song of Solomon and got meditations out of each segment. You know, The bride says, no wonder the maidens love you. And that's Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. The bride has no jealousy. This distinguishes holy love from worldly love. Wanting many other souls to love him and desiring him to pour out his caresses and kisses on them. 
In Australia, a Christian lady stopped a young girl in the street and said, You look so sad. You are crying. I am a Christian. Could I be of help? Could I share your sorrow? Thank you for your kindness, replied the girl, but no one can help me. The man I love has left me. Don't worry, said the Christian. I have a beautiful bridegroom. I will give him to you. Thinking she was being made fun of, the girl asked, why are you mocking my grief? Then our sister spoke to her about her heavenly bridegroom, about Jesus. She explained that he can share his love with many, yet to each one he gives all his love. The girl was brought to Christ. Those who preach Christ are not in competition with one another. That ought to burn some people up terribly, you know what I'm saying? I mean, if that doesn't put you under conviction for looking at somebody else's church or somebody else's goods, we're not in competition with one another. They are fellow workers. So if a soul that was attached to one flock moves to join another, there is no need for sadness. If they join another one. Got me? They go backslid. You better pray for them. Amen. It simply means that the spiritual atmosphere of the first flock did not suit that particular soul. And we all understand that. No Christian teacher can claim he is equally helpful to every individual. It is not absolutely necessary that someone should be a member of a church. Let him go to any church where he can grow spiritually and accompany him with prayers. Amen. You've got to, got to grow spiritually. Go where you can grow, not, not to any particular church that we think they should belong to. Think about the people you know who need Jesus' kisses and caresses. And that's the most important thing, that we share Christ with him because we are jealous, not jealous in the body of Christ. The bride of Christ is not jealous. Day 8, Song of Solomon 1-4. The bride says, draw me away. The bride prays, draw me. She prays like this because she knows she is still very far from the bridegroom. While we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 6. She prays like this because she, belongs to, because she longs to be in union with the bridegroom. The bridegroom cannot draw her only by convincing her. She does not have the moral power to follow her convictions. He must draw her with supernatural grace by giving her the will to come to him and the means to fulfill that will. He has said it himself. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. No one can come to Jesus by his own will. Looking to the ascended Christ, my prayer is draw me. What could hinder the fulfillment of this prayer? Our pride. Jesus said, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. The way of ascension is open for everybody. So humility is the way to be drawn. Once you're drawn, you still have to be empowered to respond to the drawing. This explains why sometimes we have to pray so long for us. You know, if you think about it, uh, you have to pray long sometimes for people to come to know Christ because it's a process of them releasing their will to him to somebody they don't really know. 
And so it, it, it really does take a supernatural grace for God to draw people to him. If we want to sit with Jesus on his throne, Revelation 3.21, we have to follow the way he went. Who, being in the form of God, did not, make him, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. So he had this mindset that was, he knew he was God. He knew he was equal with God, but it, he, didn't, he didn't think that was wrong, but he still lowered himself to God. This is what we do. You and I are human. We're, we're skin and bone, flesh and blood, just like one another. We're equals in that respect. Yet we know how to humble ourselves to one another for the purpose of the greater good. You see what I'm saying? So this is a sacrifice we make. We humble ourselves to one another for the purpose of a greater good. He said he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant, coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And so if we will take this mindset, we know who we are. We know that we have God living on the inside of him and we are capable of doing everything that Jesus did. But we humble ourselves because we find ourselves in the form of human flesh and we humble ourselves to identify with other humans so that we can share Christ with them. And that's the greater thing. See, we get highly exalted when we're able to humble ourselves, identify with broken humanity. You know, if you know how to pray and you know you can get your needs met, and you know God in a certain fashion, you don't need this people persecuting you and talk about it. Go home and live with God and be happily ever after. But there's something in us that draws us to a greater purpose and that there is an unction within us to when we see suffering humanity and God begins to tug at our hearts, then we have to pour out to them and share with them the love of Christ, even, even though they may throw it back in our faces and not receive it. The, the greater good is that you identify with them and, and humble yourself and share and obey God and do what he tells you to do toward that individual. God is not only the Lord Jesus' father, but also our father. And we can ascend to him if we follow the way of Jesus, humility. He lived for 34 years on earth in misery, poverty, and unmeasured sorrows. Now, your faith teachers will tell you Jesus was not poor. Don't they? All right. So stay with me on this. The Bible says he became poor so that we would be rich. That was something he left off as an inheritance for us. Now think about it this way. If your parents were wealthy and they spent everything that they had, what would there be left for you? There you go. And so that's what Jesus did for us. He, we are joint heirs with him. He waited until the father released it to him so that he would have enough to bring wealth to everybody. Amen. And so this is, this is the exchange. What he, what he suffered, we get the benefit of, and we don't have to suffer through it. Amen. We can voluntarily give it up. Amen. 
Many people voluntarily give up worldly wealth in the pursuit of it. They say, I don't have time to run a business. I don't have there's, there's too much work to do for God. You understand what I'm saying? That's perfectly acceptable to God. You don't have to believe in health and wealth 100% and pursue it in order to please God. You can please him by living a life of self-denial, you know, and many, many people have. He lived for 34 years on earth in misery, poverty, and unmeasured sorrows. Let us avoid wealth and self-exalted situations as a burning fire, and our prayer to be drawn to him will be fulfilled. Amen. So if you identify with him, you can be drawn to him, and that's the greater good that comes about in your life, that you be drawn to the Lord. It's, if you think about it, these people have nothing. They're whipped and they're tortured, and yet they can come out of that torture situation with some of the most beautiful revelation on the love of God that's ever been written. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, we all know our three steps to getting your bills paid and our ten steps to to getting uh, what we call prosperity, but it's really just a living, you know, for most people. And so, but how many people can tell you that that self-denial and suffering and taking up your cross really pays off? You know, many times we don't even read those portions of the Bible. If we read them, we don't embellish on them and we don't expound on them very much because they kind of meet with puzzled eyes and deaf ears. You know, if you sit in front of a bunch of people who are thinking about when am I going to get this and when am I going to get that, when you talk about that's suffering to most people, you know, they have no idea about real suffering. You understand what I'm saying? Being at the hands of people who really, really hate you and so forth and so on. So, okay, day nine, running after him. The daughters, this is Solomon's Song of Solomon 1-4. One, one the daughters of Jerusalem say, we will run after you. We do not have to walk after the Lord, but run. The writer of Hebrews tells believers, let us run with endurance. The apostle Paul wrote, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Running symbolizes a longing for God and a vigorous faith in him. Psalm 119.32 says, I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. When the children of Israel worshipped the golden calf, they sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. While Joseph's brothers sat down at a meal, they schemed about selling him. It is a great catastrophe when the people of God sit down. They must run, run with all their heart, not listening to whispers or shouts from different sides, but violently rejecting any hindrance. We must run with our bodies stretched forward to seize the prize before our feet arrive at the, at the goal. We must run with extreme speed. Jesus told us we are light. Light has greater speed than anything else in the natural world. In telling us we are light, Jesus told us to run with the speed of light. Don't forfeit your prize by sitting. Get up and run the race God has set before you. In the bride's words, draw me, we will run after you. We observe the sudden passing from the singular to the plural. The bride is saying, Jesus 
should draw me alone, then we, many of us, will run after him. You, Jesus, take care of me, drawing me with all your might that I might influence others. King David also understands this truth. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous free spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. The faithful soul that runs also wins other people to Christ. By doing so, it takes upon itself a huge responsibility. In the free world, a soul winner does not readily perceive this. The man he wins for Christ will become a church member, sing in the choir, marry a nice Christian girl, and lead a quiet Christian life. But to be a soul winner in a communist or Islamic country, to be an evangelist in the underground church is a burden with heavy problems. When Paul preached in Rome, he knew that those who responded to his message could be thrown to the wild beasts and devoured in the circus arena. They could be crucified or burned on stakes. Should he preach in such circumstances? Or would it be better for him to remain silent? Is it right to propagate an idea if it will bring men to prison, to torture, and to death? How many believing wives, parents, and children must have cursed Paul because his preaching brought such sorrow to their families? But when you are drawn by Jesus... You must make others run after him. It is in jail with, I was in jail with a man whom Trion Doors, the famous Romanian poet, had brought to Christ. He was sentenced to death for his faith, and he had left a wife and six children at home. I asked him, are you resentful toward Doors for taking you out of your life of tranquility and setting you upon this dangerous path? He said, I can't thank him enough. During World War II, Mrs. Roosevelt, the wife of Franklin D. Roosevelt, Eleanor Roosevelt, you know, familiar with? I won't say no more. Y'all going to start wondering how old I am for real. The President of the United States carried this prayer in her purse. Dear Lord, lest I continue my complacent way, help me to remember somewhere out there a man died for me today. As long as this fight continues, I then must ask and answer, am I worth dying for? I'm going to read that again. She had it. This is Eleanor Roosevelt. Eleanor Roosevelt was, was notable for several things. She did great humanitarian work among minorities and poor people and in foreign countries where she worked a lot with missionaries and people who were very um, uh, sacrificing in the way that they looked at, at the world. It says, Dear Lord, lest I continue in my complacent way, help me to remember somewhere out there a man died for me today. As long as this fight continues, I then must ask and answer, am I worth dying for? Every ruler and every officer who sends soldiers to die, yes, every conscientious citizen, must ask himself or herself the same question. In the underground church, the pastor gives assignments to his church members that might result in their death. He asks them to organize secret printing presses, to secretly transport Christian literature from place to place. If they are caught, these people will go to prison. Because of those printing presses, many people have died. 
The voice of the martyrs has sent couriers into communist and Islamic countries to smuggle in Christian books. One of them, Wang, Wang Shen Mei, was beaten to death in China. Two others, Tom White and Mel Bailey, were caught in Cuba, where they received prison sentences of 24 years each, but were released after uh, serving 17 months. Cuba. You got me? It's where our government is trying to get inroads and the Rolling Stones going over to talk about how wonderful it is. And uh, if Cuba's wonderful, why so many Cubans in Miami? I mean, there's millions of them down there. You just need to ask people who live there what they think about it. Others were wounded while taking Bibles into Mozambique when it was under communist influence. A soul winner in the underground church is not allowed to be complacent. He must remember that his brothers and sisters may die for what he has told them to believe and do. In the free world, Christians must be taught to carry crosses and learn to renounce self. The soul winner must know and practice this before he teaches it to others. Therefore, let the words, we will run, stay in our minds. Okay, the king's chambers. This is Song of Solomon 1.4. The king has brought me into his chambers. The bride prayed, draw me, and the prayer was granted immediately. The king brought her into his chambers. So when we ask God to draw us, he does it immediately. So we don't need to be deceived into thinking, oh boy, you know, God, he hasn't answered me yet or something. Ask him to draw you. Quit asking for stuff, but ask him to ask him for relationship. It works every time. I have known men who have been in the king's chambers. In jail, I was thrown together with a Christian sentenced to death. He sang songs which he had composed. He told us, death does not scare me. I sing here. I will do the same after I am shot. Only the songs will be different. Here, my hymns somehow center around myself, telling of my longings, how sinful I have been, how I was saved, although the Lord taught us in his prayer to pray without using the word I. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom. Nothing about I in there, right? Heavenly songs are different. The angels sing that God is thrice holy and that the earth is filled with his glory. They rejoice over it and they have nothing to ask. See, <laughs> all their needs are met and they still cry holy, holy, holy all day. They worship God. We have so many needs and we don't want to stop and worship God. You know what I'm at Christ's birth, they sang glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men whom the Lord's favor rests. There was no petition for personal needs. My Christian cellmate went to his execution singing one of the new songs that he had learned in the chambers of Jesus. In his spirit, he had been in a heavenly Jerusalem, a city far away before his physical death. We are all meant to visit the chambers of Jesus and to learn these new songs. Amen. Day 11. This one is called Be Glad. I think this is the last one I'll read. I didn't bookmark it, so I'm, oh, here's my little thing. Yeah, the bookmark. Okay. Whatever. I can't get it. Okay, there. The daughters of Jerusalem say, we will, will be glad and rejoice in you. That's us. We, we say, we will be glad and rejoice in you. 
the grace given to the bride influences others. When one single soul is in right fellowship with God, the whole church will be blessed and will have joy and gladness. See, it's worth it to live right for God. He said, one person in right fellowship with God, the whole church will be blessed and will have joy and gladness. It might seem the words be glad and rejoice are repetitious, but there is a progression here from inner joy to outward gladness. Gladness can be faked. It must be united to a joy in the heart to make it genuine. When Christians have to bear crosses, they make roses bloom in them. The life and death of, of the Lutheran pastor Joseph Juras of Czechoslovakia, which today is separated into the Czech Republic and Slovakia, will illustrate what I mean. Having refused to become a communist collaborator and having studied in the United States for half a year at the invitation of the National Lutheran Council, the communists charged him with treason and sentenced him to 13 years imprisonment in 1962. They inserted sharp objects under his fingernails and toenails and pierced his body with needles. He was released in 1968 during the presidential amnesty and died in 1975. A fellow prisoner wrote of him, his personality glowed in a special way. Many people display gladness even though their stony hearts have been incapable of knowing true joy. God continually insists that joy and gladness go together. There should be neither laughter without the heart's participation nor a joy in the heart too miserly to show it outwardly and thus gladden others. The angel Gabriel said to Zacharias the priest, you will have joy and gladness. So you will have inner joy and, and so much of it, it overflows out in the form of gladness. The prodigal son's father said to the other son, it was right that we would make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again. Jesus tells us to rejoice and leap for joy. So gladness should be accompanied by outward signs of rejoicing. So really when God does that and makes your heart glad, it doesn't matter what circumstances you are in or what oppression is put upon you, when he puts that joy in, it shows on the outer countenance. And that's such a tremendous impact and witness for people. You know, many times we have gladness, but no inner joy to sustain it, or it's not coming from a deeper place where it can feed us and have something for others. So gladness on top of emptiness on the inside comes across sometimes as, as ridicule or as, you know what I'm saying, it just looks, uh, it, it has an uncertain power to it. You know, it's not genuine enough. The, the joy of God comes out that way so that we can have gladness, have joy on the inside and gladness and rejoicing on the outside as well. Day 12, loving unto death. The daughters of Jerusalem say, we will remember your love more than wine. The bride says, rightly do they love you. The wine represents the king's gifts as distinguished from his person. He that unites with us is of more value than all the things he gives us. He that unites with us, that's Christ, is of more value than all the things he gives us. They love him so much even unto death. 
On December 4, 1601, Bishop Seraphim of Greece was martyred. He was falsely accused of plotting and rebelling against the Turks. They shouted at him, rebel and subverter of our authority. Behold, you have come into our hands and you will and will receive that which is your due. Unless perchance you should wish to abandon your faith and become a Muslim. Then we will forgive you and honor you greatly. For by this we know that you have repented and become as one with us. Bishop Seraphim was an upright man who loved Jesus. He desired martyrdom for Christ and did not become in the least faint-hearted. With a clear and serene countenance, he responded, I will never agree in any circumstances to forsake my faith so that I might be spared death. I will never forsake my most sweet Jesus, my God and my creator. Now, because I suffer unjustly, I will have the more hope on that account that I shall receive from my master even greater honor. I would never deny my faith, nor shall I ever be separated from my sweetest master and God, Jesus Christ. Then I shall die 10,000 deaths for his holy name. I would count it all joy and gladness. O ruler, be it slaughter or mutilation, do whatever is within your power. The ruler named Tomoza Bey ordered him to be flogged, his nose cut into small pieces. This upright man loved Jesus. He endured all these torments as if they were happening to someone else, thanking God and blessing him. The next morning he appeared before Homosa Bay. His attitude was the same. He said, I will never abandon my Lord Jesus Christ, my creator who shaped me, only to believe in a mortal man, an illiterate, an enemy and blasphemer of my Christ. You know they want the Muslims. You can't say nothing about they whoever Allah. They tore him to pieces, but even his merciless executioners marveled to see that he endured it all with thanksgiving, and that his face was bright and joyous as if he were at a feast. In the end, he was impaled. The devil works through these anti-Christian dictators. And we are reminded of the words he addressed to the Lord. All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And that was Satan talking to Jesus. A Kenyan periodical reported that the Anglican bishop of Uganda, uh, Luam, was shot in front of President Amin because he refused to kneel and beg for mercy. The same demonic spirit is at work in communist countries. Decades ago, Fidel Castro attended the execution of a Christian by by firing squad. As his hands were tied behind his back, Castro urged him, kneel and beg for your life. The Christian shouted back, I kneel for no man. A sharp shooter put a bullet through one knee and then the other. Castro exalted, see, we have made you kneel. The executioner finished the man off slowly by shooting through the non-vital parts of the believer's body to prolong the agony. This incident is described by in John Martino's book, I Was Castro's Prisoner. Such Christians are each in personification of those who rightly love the bridegroom. His love is better than his gifts, and they love him unto the death. Amen? Amen. Okay. All right. So praise God. Amen. Praise God. Amen. 
you know, ask God to minister what he wants you to take away from these readings because I've kind of got accustomed to them and they, they were kind of like giving me a shock and I don't want to read this and why am I doing this? We don't live like that, but we might. It encourages me to pray that it doesn't get like that. Amen. But if it gets like that, we know we can make it through. You understand what I'm saying? You, you've got to know these things as believers. because, And I say that because the world is so wicked now. It seems that every day our government is dictating more and more compromise with the, de- with the devil, with the enemy. And threatening us. We're no different than these people are. We're being threatened in a different way. Uh, you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't hurt some people. Excuse me, I could get some water. If everybody was threatened to have everything you take taken away from you, what are, what is what's gonna the government gonna do? Make us all homeless? You know, if you're a preacher and you don't believe in same sex marriage and you refuse to, they'll just shut you down. Take everything you possess in a lawsuit or threat of a lawsuit. You know, if you can hire lawyers, they'll, you'll go bankrupt defending yourself all for nothing. You got me? What difference does it make who marries you? If you just want to get married, go find somebody to do it. You know, if people don't want to do it, leave them alone. You got me? We are all free to, to do what our conscience tells us to do. So there's no reason to strip it. But if they come for it, you've got to know that God will take care of you in spite of. You got me? You have to know that. You can't cave in. It really blessed me. I was reading some accounts of, I think, some different, I think it was, I'm trying to think what the situation was. But it had to do with uh, Christians who were refusing to serve people same-sex, either somebody trying to bake a cake for somebody. You know, what's a cake worth? You know, you should be able, if you're going to sue, sue for the price of the cake and go buy one someplace else. But you don't take away somebody's, all their earthly possessions. It doesn't, it, the, the, the scales don't balance out. But that's the devil. He likes to weigh things. All of this is being done to terrorize Christians. That's all it is. And it's coming to make us, get us where we have made the world think we live there. So all of our prosperity teaching has set us up to be fearful where money is concerned. I see it came in a good way from, from ministers of the gospel to help us to live well for God. But at the same token, the enemy hears that. And he says, oh, they like money over there. They talk about money. They want money. They want God to give them money. Well, let me see what they'll do. Same thing with Job. If I take all their money away from them, what are they going to do? Well, I'm going to serve God. You understand what I'm saying? I grew up poor. You understand? And I know how to survive. I know how to strip it down to where, you understand what I'm saying, where it don't cost me almost anything to live. I don't have to have certain things. I've had enough things in my lifetime, so I don't have to have a brand new car. I've had brand new cars. I don't have to have a brand new nothing. I don't have to have plenty of nothing. I don't have to have designer this design. I have all, all that stuff. And it's, you know, and what I didn't have, I didn't need. And so it's, and if I never had it, it doesn't make any difference to me. But we have to get down to where we live. And where we live is day by day loving Jesus and doing what he commands us to do.
and thereby let our joy and gladness stand. And so if you can't stand to be threatened by the enemy and know that you'll come out victorious, then we got to get closer to him. Our prayer should be, draw me, God, so that I'm not afraid what the enemy can do to me. But I was reading an account of somebody who was was having to defend themselves uh, in court. And they talked about the different groups that had come alongside of this person to help them. And there was, uh, you know, of course, the... uh, uh, ACLJ, the Law and Justice, a Christian group, or a couple of Christian legal groups. And then there was about a list of about six or seven groups of black pastors and inner city pastors who were supporting these people because they felt that they needed to be heard on this level, that we're not standing with the devil's nonsense and we're not. So I was glad to see clergy and real church people standing and not being afraid to be counted as people who are supporting their freedom to do what God tells them to do. And so we have to really understand that when God moves on us to do things and say things, we've got to obey God rather than man. And and it can get testy in a hurry because many people are looking at their heads, shaking their heads and say, what are people, what are they doing? What are they doing in this country? No, they were complaining mildly that all the country's going down the tubes, but they are still comfortable in their lifestyle. Now they're all getting nervous. You understand what I'm saying? From the least to the greatest. And so we we really have to understand that the enemy is trying to advance quicker than we can turn around and put him in his place. So that's why we pray. That's why we do what we do. That's why we stand against uh, the works of darkness. So I have a... a A couple of articles I want to share with you. This one is called Buried Alive, ISIS Killing ISIS. Yay. (laughs) You read that right. The Islamic State are killing their own in an attempt to flee the battlefields in Iraq. This barbaric group of jihadist terrorists are burying alive a barbaric group of jihadist terrorists. The notoriously destructive and demonic Islamic State is known for treating those who oppose their sick way of life or those who desert from their fields of blood with death. It appears that if you live by ISIS, you die by ISIS. ISIS buries 35 of its fighters alive after they fled the battlefield fighting Iraqi forces. ISIS has reportedly buried 35 of its fighters alive after they fled the battlefield in northern Iraq. These men were fighting Iraqi government forces near the village of Bashir, 12 miles south south of Kirkuk on May 1st. But they were sentenced to death by ISIS leaders after they deserted the field and the terrorist group lost control of the village. The men were buried alive on the outskirts of a city 35 miles south of Mosul. ISIS has had several defeats in northern Iraq in recent weeks. Yay! Most recently on Monday when Iraqi forces took Kabruk about 60 miles from Bashir. In March, Iraq's military opened a new front against the militants in the Makmur area and called it the first phase of a wider campaign to liberate Mosul about 40 miles farther north. But progress has been slow, and to date, Iraqi forces have taken just five villages. 
In swift in a swift operation, our units took the groups of the terrorist organization Daesh by surprise and entered the Phyllish Kabruk village. Kabruk read a statement from the Nineveh Operations Command using an Arabic acronym for Islamic State. A source involved in the operation said the militants put up little resistance in the village of Kabruk. The advance brings Iraqi forces slightly closer to the oil town of Kiara on the western banks of the Tigris River. Taking control of Kiara would help to isolate Mosul from the territory that ISIS holds further south and east. An air base about 10 miles west of the river that U.S. forces used during following 2003 invasion could serve as a staging ground for the Mosul offensive. Kurdish Peshmerga forces and a range of militia groups may take part. Remember the Peshmerga? The offensive's faltering start has cast renewed doubt on the capabilities of the Iraqi army, which retreated in disarray when Islamic State seized Mosul in 2014. But they won't do it this time. Amen. We'll pray. Nineveh Operations Commander Major General Najim al-Jaburi blamed the slow pace on lack of troops. If it weren't for the limited units, we could have advanced further, but we don't have forces to hold ground, he told Reuters. His forces had no tanks and were fighting without an elite counterterrorism forces that have spearheaded most of Iraq's successful offensive uh, offensives elsewhere. Islamic State's use of civilians as human shield had, shields has also hampered Iraqi forces. U.S. Army, US Army Colonel Steve Warren, a spokesman for the U.S.-led coalition, said more troops would be deployed to Mokmur and that tens of thousands were needed for the final push on Mosul. We knew that the fighting would get harder the further north we went, and we are seeing that to be the case. Iraqi officials said they will retake Mosul this year, but in private, many question where well we don't care what you question but just but anyway we see where some people you know these isis people these people want to live i don't care what you say they don't all want to just die for allah some of them want to live and they don't they're getting tired of fighting so that's a good sign amen so here's a a newsletter from a group that was on the french first lines on the front lines with the Peshmerga forces. Now remember we, we made a little mention of them there, there we talked about the women's Peshmerga before that they were and that, that is an old 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 traditional resistance unit uh, in the Middle East and so uh, it's kind of interesting that they are, are I guess very very still instrumental in fighting. They just fight. They know what they're there to do and so they resist these terrorists as much as they can. First you notice the sound of jet in engines. The sign is this is in Iraq. The sky is overcast so you can't see the coalition of warplanes but you can hear them. And you know what the snarl of jet noise and the occasional thud of an airstrike symbolizes for the Islamic state fighters about a mile away. With Kashnilov slung over his, with a Kalashnikov slung over his shoulder and a curved dagger underneath his waistband, Peshmerga Colonel Anwar Hassan watches his enemies through binoculars. Hassan, 48, has been a Kurdish Peshmerga soldier since the 1991 Kurdish uprising against Saddam Hussein's regime, and he fought in the Iraqi Kurdish War in the mid-1990s. 
He also remembers the genocidal Al and Fall campaign in the late 1980s when the Hussein regime killed about 180,000 Kurds through the aerial bombardments, firing squads, and chemical warfare. Remember that was when uh, I think it was George H.W. Bush was president and he had promised to help them and then at the last minute American you know, counselors convinced them not to. See, what happens is people know press people are watching. And this is who's running these operations. What they say about us in the press usually winds up convincing people to act or not to act, which isn't right. It should do the right thing, period. But anyway, that's what happened. And Saddam Hussein was raining down chemicals and burning people alive as they were fleeing. So it was really, it was horrible. Um, the senior Bush, when he talked about it some years later, still was crying because he heard the reports of how people were just outright slaughtered and they could have stopped it with a few arms, you know. See, when you put things off, they just grow and get worse. So then his son has to deal with Saddam Hussein anyway. You know, he still gets criticized for it. You know, people just, it's hard to do right. You got to listen to all these voices telling you you're wrong for doing it. Like when you witness the homosexuals, they tell you you're mean, you're, you know, it's hate, and, you know, you're, you're a hater, and it's a hate crime. They'll even take you to jail for it now. You can't even witness the people, so they say. So anyway, <clears throat> Hassan commands more than 300 soldiers within Peshmerga Unit 48, with about 14, uh, with 1,000 total fighters. Unit 48 holds an 80-mile stretch on the front line south of the Islamic State stronghold of Mosul in northern Iraq. The men under Hassan's watch are spread along a 12-mile section of those lines dug in on hilltops and in fortified compounds. So, see, this story about ISIS killing ISIS didn't even mention these people. You know, you just have to really find what, what you need to find, but it's encouraging to know we are praying for some real people somewhere to succeed against this evil. You're not just fighting and hoping something happens. The Peshmerga are a volunteer, volunteer, no paycheck, volunteer Kurdish fighting force, which represents an ancient warrior tradition dating back from before Alexander the Great. In Kurdish, the word Peshmerga roughly, roughly translates to one who faces death. It's, it's an equivalent, really, of apostle in the Greek language. It's for all you uh, internet apostles. That's <laughs> one a plane ticket, a first-class plane ticket in a nice hotel. Today, the Peshmerga are under the command of the Kurdistan Regional Government, an autonomous Kurdish region in northern Iraq. They are an ally of Operation Inherent Resolve, the U.S.-led international coalition combating Islamic State, the terrorist army, also known as ISIS. And as Operation Inherent Resolve approaches the two-year mark, the Peshmerga have proven themselves in battle as the most reliable, well, I guess so. They've been around for what, Alexander the Great was like fourth or third or fourth century or something like that. Yeah, they, I would say they're pretty reliable. Just saying. 
is operating <laughs> with some of Saddam Hussein's former Ba'ath Party now serving within the Islamic State's ranks. You see, killing Haddam, Saddam Hussein, um, it was the right thing to do because still some of his people are still around fighting. You just can't, can't kill up everything, but you can get a good start. He sees the fight against the terrorist army as one more battle in a war he has fought his entire life. We're still fighting the same army, he says. Do you believe you'll ever be in peace, this correspondent asked. He says, uh, God willing. It is the day after an Islamic State attack on the village north of Mosul in which the 31-year-old Navy SEAL Chris Keating IV died by sniper fire. Tensions are consequently high among the Peshmerga lines surrounding Mosul. Here at a Peshmerga position to the south of Mosul at a village called Gwer, the soldiers did not sleep at all the night before. They stayed up until sunrise ready to defend against a rumored Islamic State attack. More than 100 local Kurdish villagers took up arms to reinforce the Peshmerga positions. So people who say stuff like, well, you can go over there and fight, but those people won't fight back. And you understand what I'm saying? It's only part of the story. God says, I got much people. And all I need to do is get somebody to get up and take my side. And I can do what I need to do. He'll raise up people, you know, to do this. The terrain is wide open, colored in, in colored tan and green. Eroded hills ring the southern the horizon southward to the east are fields of wheat islamic state positions are to the north and west in the direction of mosul no man's land is a scrub covered fluvial plain cut by the great zab river a tributary of the tigris the peshmerga are dug in on a ridge line running parallel to the river among a network of hilltop forts and cinder block homes converted into outposts on a ridge line on the opposite side of the river, about a mile away, are the Kurdish lines. ISIS fighters scurry between their positions. An ISIS, ISIS pickup truck with a machine gun mounted in the back bed is parked under a lone tree atop a hill. Nearby, two ISIS fighters fire a machine gun from inside a cemetery. They use a stone grave as cover. But the shots are sporadic and haphazard, and none of the Peshmerga soldiers fire back. They need to save ammunition. A slit in the field of about 80 meters, 87 yards, from a Kurdish outpost marks the Islamic State's closest point of advance. Bullet holes pockmark the walls of the compound facing the Islamic State lines. Alongside Hassan, other Peshmerga soldiers stand behind a sandbag reinforced wall on the roof of their compound. They pass binoculars back and forth watching their enemy. Watchmen, got to have them all the time. One Peshmerga soldier turns up the volume on his radio when he hears ISIS fighters talking to one another. The Kurds don't have encrypted communications. They share the airways with their enemy on the off-the-shelf walkie-talkies. There are about two dozen Peshmerga soldiers in this position. Most are armed with uh, Kalashnikovs only. They have a pair of U.S.-made M16 assault rifles for the unit, which the Kurdish soldiers say they took from dead Islamic State fighters. You know, ISIS got all the best weapons. Hmm, wonder how this happened. 
in a room on the second floor of the outpost, a set of night vision goggles sit on the floor beside the rocket-propelled grenade launcher, RPG launcher, the only one of each at this position. In the compound's courtyard, there's a Toyota Helix sport utility vehicle with a Soviet-made Dushka machine gun mounted on the back bed. These people get their weapon. They don't care where they come from. They're going to find them something to shoot with. The truck is parked so that the weapon is aimed over the compound's wall in the direction of the ISIS lines. It's the Kurdish unit's sole machine gun. The first thing Peshmerga, Peshmerga General Shehzar offers is an apology. The unit's 48 Unit 48's commander puts a hand over his heart and explains that normally he would kill a goat to prepare a meal for an honored guest. Kurds are famous for our hospitality, he says, and I'm ashamed, but this is war. As a command post several miles behind the front line, Tsar has agreed to an interview with the Daily Signal. Before talking about the war, however, he extols the qualities of the goatskin roll on which he sleeps. It's soft and keeps me warm at night like a good woman, he says, chuckling. The Peshmerga general wears a traditional Kurdish outfit with a thick waist sash over which is a belt laden with ammunition pouches and a holstered pistol. A checkered turban covers his head, and he wears sunglasses, which he keeps on while sitting inside. Like, you'd wear them too, buddy. What are you talking about keep on while sitting inside? He's in the desert. I think he's going to let his eyes burn up. People are so green. Like most Kurds, Tsar uses his hands a lot as he speaks. His facial expressions are animated and electric. To make an important point, he places a hand on your forearm. A soldier brings in several glasses of sweetened tea and a plate of cookies. With the necessary formalities appropriately tended to and a few minutes of pleasantries dutifully exchanged, the interview, the interview begins. Tsar promptly discloses his gratitude for American airstrikes. We stand shoulder to shoulder with America, he says. We appreciate what the U.S. Air Force has done for us. America is our real friend. Overall, Unit 48 is responsible for an 80-mile-long stretch of the front lines around Mosul. The Peshmerga have divided their front in northern Iraq into eight sectors, and Zarar is the longest. Zarar is proud of his soldiers and says their morale remains high after two years of combat, yet he also insists the Kurds need more weapons and ammunitions. The general blames shortfalls on Iraq's central government in Baghdad, which he says has not followed through on handing over weapons the U.S. has pledged for the Kurds. We need to pray about that for them to get those weapons released to them. Or they just somehow find a way to go around the government backlog. You know, I remember back in the, uh, I think in the 90s, remember we are the world, we are the children. They raised all that money to feed hungry kids and, the, and it never, the food never got there. They didn't put it in the hands of the right people. They handed it over to the government. All of our weapons are Russian and we bought them on our own. Tsar says ISIS made it, has an edge in firepower due to the quality of Iraqi army equipment confiscated 
during their 2014 blitz across Iraq. Remember when the ISIS came and took all that territory back that the U.S. soldiers, because we pulled our government pulled out too soon. If you're going to do a job, get in there and finish it and do it right. So now we they're, they're fighting us with our own weapons that we built and supplied to the government they took them from. Daesh has so many weapons, they have enough to fight for years, Sar says, using a, a disparaging Arabic acronym for Islamic State. They fire as much in one month as we do in a year. The U.S. has pledged weapons and equipment for the Kurds, but all of the material is funneled through the Iraqi central government in Baghdad, which has proven reluctant to arm the Kurds. 100% of the arms and equipments that we provide goes through central government Iraq. U.S. Army Colonel Steve Warren told reporters, the central government decides where every piece of equipment goes. Yeah, but if it was my stuff, I'd follow up and make sure it got to people who are fighting. The Iraqi government has much better equipment than the Peshmerga, Zar says, but the Peshmerga are much more effective on the battlefield. Apart from the May 3rd attack, fighting among, along the front lines of side of Mosul has been largely static for months. Similar to the ongoing war in Ukraine, it's a long-distance fight in which soldiers on opposite sides of no man's land fire at each other from hardened positions and trenches. ISIS's daily attacks compromise, comprise mortars, heavy artillery, RPGs, and machine gun fire. Snipers are also a constant threat. Peshmerga say the ISIS snipers are all well-trained and lethal. ISIS also uses small commercially available drones for surveillance, Peshmerga soldiers say. Tsar pushed back against the narrative that the Islamic State is inept in the battlefield and exclusively relies on suicide bomber Benzai chargers. Some former Ba'athist com commanders who served under Saddam Hussein have joined the Islamic State. The general explains they add command experience, which has translated into co coordinated complex attacks. Veterans of Saddam's army have joined Daesh, so they have good tactics, Tsar says. The Islamic State has also adapted to the airstrike threat. They now wait to launch attacks on days when it is raining or cloudy. Whether that makes it more difficult for U.S. and coalition warplanes to find targets. And they hunker down in caves and underground tunnels, constantly shifting their command posts to elude aerial surveillance. Yet, many Peshmerga soldiers also claim ISIS is on its heels. They say coalition airstrikes have, have had a devastating effect on their enemy. The airstrikes have been crucial, he says. We are very grateful for the U.S. Air Force. Yay! Tsar claims the May 3rd Islamic State attack was done purely for propaganda value, part of the group's desperate attempt to rejuvenate recruitment, which at about 200 new fighters a month is now less than one-fifth of the pace last year. So they're losing. They're less than one-fifth of the recruits that they had this time last year. It was the last drop of blood in their bodies, Zara said. The attack was for propaganda to show they are still strong. It was also to make the coalition worried about taking Mosul. Most of the Peshmerga soldiers in Unit 48 are not young men. While the youngest soldier is just 18, the majority are middle-aged or, or older. Some have gone completely gray. Many of the older soldiers have combat experience dating from the 1980s. We know how to suffer, 
Hassan says. Life on the front lines is Spartan for Peshmerga soldiers while little, with little financial reward or recompense for their service. At night on the front lines, in where they sleep atop goatskin rolls either laid out in a ground floor room or on the roof, a common practice in the Middle East to escape the heat. Yet due to the constant threat of ISIS attack, the Kurdish soldiers often stand guard through the night. A normal Peshmerga soldier makes about $300 a month and is responsible for buying his own weapon, ammunition, and clothing. Consequently, there's a three-month, currently, there's a three-month backlog in pay. Consequently, most Peshmerga soldiers have a second civilian job, which they balance with their military service. They rotate home about every five days and spend half a month on the front lines. At the Gwer front, none of the men have body armor, and they are short on food and medical supplies. Unlike U.S. soldiers who carry individual first aid kits called IFACs, this Peshmerga unit has a communal supply of medical supplies with which to treat the wounded. It is a 30-minute drive to the nearest hospital. Despite the lack of equipment and weapons, the Spartan way of life and two years of constant combat preceded by decades of genocide and bloodshed, the Peshmerga morale appears robust. They seem animated, energetic, and sociable. They pass the time playing dominoes and drinking tea. Few appear forlorn or are seen sitting alone or idle. Kurds are used to war, Czar, the Kurdish general says, so our morale is high. Keeping with Kurdish culture, all the men are neatly groomed with fresh haircuts and combed hair. Those who wear mustaches keep them trimmed. The soldiers smile and crowd around for a cam. The older ones are tall, stand tall and at attention for photos. The younger ones among them flash peace signs and give a thumbs up. There's spotty cellular internet connection here. Some soldiers troll Facebook on smartphones during downtime. They also use Facebook to verify the credentials of the foreign correspondent in their midst. Asked what his men needed most, Hassan promptly replies, ammunition. We, so that's what we're going to pray for for them. We have experienced fighting in the mountains for hundreds of years. We are warriors. We can deal, we can deal without food and water. We can't fight without bullets. For Peshmerga, the fight against the Islamic State has an existential struggle to defend their homeland and their families. There is no question about the war's necessity or the justice of their cause. Part of their motivation stems from the savage brutality of the enemy they face. It inspires us to fight when we see the terrible things Daesh has done, and it should inspire the world to give us more help. Daesh's cruelty inspires me to be more passionate about fighting. Uh, says uh, Abdul Rahman, a Peshmar soldier, their cruelty makes me more aggressive. It fuels my hate. Abdul Rahman joined Peshmerga in 2004, the year after the U.S. invasion, to topple Saddam Hussein. He was 18, the minimum enlistment age. Of course, I'm still a little afraid before combat, but it's normal for me now. I'm professional enough to deal with it, and I know why I'm fighting. Desh doesn't know about human life or religion. They're not part of humanity. Even with potentially bloody battles like the one for Mosul looming on the horizon, the Kurds say the Islamic State's downfall is inevitable. You got me? They say the downfall of their enemy is inevitable. Amen? 
The greater unknown, however, is what happens after ISIS is defeated. Simmering tensions, well, who cares about that? The American people think so goofy. You start thinking about the what-ifs of the future, and you lose the battle. Stay focused on the battle. I want to bring freedom to our country, um, um, Rahman says. I'm not only fighting for my family, I'm fighting for my land, for Kurdistan. The looming campaign to liberate Mosul could be a tipping point in the war against ISIS. While U.S. President Barack Obama has said Mosul could fall to Iraq, Iraqi forces by the end of the year, most military analysts and many U.S. Kurdish military personnel in the field say the siege will likely have to wait until 2017. Yet despite the mounting anticipation from the Mosul campaign and its potential to deal a lethal blow to Islamic State, many rank-and-file Peshmerga soldiers consider the city's liberation to ultimately be Baghdad's responsibility. They feel betrayed by the Iraqi central government stalling on weapon deliveries tagged for the Kurds. Kurds also have a low regard for the fighting will of combat soldiers of the Iraqi army. Up here, we on the Kurdistan land and in, in any further Arab, we up to here, we are on Kurdistan land. And any further is Arab land, Hassan says, pointing toward Mosul. And that's Iraqi's, Iraq's responsibility. We tried many times to coordinate with them, but they never helped us. So we are now fighting for Kurdistan. But if uh, Barzani tells us to attack, we will, Hassan is, referring to Mosul Barzani, president of the Kurdistan regional government. Peshmina lines, Peshmerga lines stretch for more than 200 miles across northern Iraq from the city of Singar unto the Syrian border to the outskirts of Kirkuk, Kirkuk, 100 miles southeast of Mosul. The Peshmerga front is divided into eight sectors, each with a local commander. The process for Peshmerga to call in coalition airstrikes is laborious. Coalition military personnel say the convoluted chain of approvals prevents civilian casualties and compensates for uh, situational awareness shortfalls due to the absence of coalition crews. So everybody's defending what they do in their position, something. Uh, Battle-hardened. Leaving leaving the front lines, you pass two children playing on the side of the road, a boy and a girl. They're only about three miles or so away from the front. You can still hear the sound of the war from here. Yet they seem oblivious to what the pops, booms, thuds, and jet noise mean. They keep playing as you pass by and the war goes on. Earlier, as he peered through binoculars and at Islamic State position, Hassan says, I'm proud of my men and my people. Without lifting his gaze from his binoculars, he adds, if you had given weapons to us instead of Baghdad, we, have, we would have taken Mosul by now. So that's the Peshmerga, and we're going to pray for them to get their weapons. We're going to also pray for them to, what else do we say we needed to? Yeah, ammunition, weapons. There was something else that they, I said we would definitely pray for that. Let me see. It'll come to me. I know it will when we pray. God is faithful. Amen. So the last thing we have to go over is our prayers. Well, we, we'll pray these as we pray. Uh, I'll pray the prayers that came from the um, uh, Voice of the Martyrs newsletter this month. So I will pray those as we pray. But I need to make a couple of notes here. I'm going to usually have my pen in my purse. Anybody got a pen handy? I can 
Oh, ooh, thank you, Gigi. I moved my ankle. I hadn't moved in a while. Come on, ankle. Stay awake. All right, so we got Peshmerga. Weapons. And release of all supplies we'll put. So I know that's part of what. get a faster release of things that they need okay all right okay we're ready to pray we're gonna pray our protection against persecution okay let me this hers i'm i'm done i got my notes now yeah i'm good thank you very much i didn't want to take it and lose it like i last lost the last one i had in here all right father in heaven we thank you that we are praying for protection against persecution thank you lord we submit to you resist the devil and he must flee i command you satan to flee from us seven ways and flee from the people that we're praying for seven ways vengeance belongs to you O god we resist retaliation against our accusers why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? You who sit in the heavens are laughing and behold their threatenings. Stretch forth your hand to heal, O God. Do signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. We declare the way of the ungodly shall perish. The way of ISIS shall perish. Let them fall by their own counsels. Lord, judge the people. Judge us, O Lord, according to our enemies, that is that uh, integrity that is within us. Let the mischief of those who persecute us return upon his own head. Keep us as the apple of the eye. Hide us under the shadow of thy wings. Thank you for teaching my hands to war so that the bow of steel is broken into my arms. Thank you that you have given us the necks of our enemies. Shut the mouths of the lions that roar their lies against us and cause the tongue of the wicked persecutors to cleave to the roof of the mouth. Stop the pointing of the finger against your servant. Stop those who point the finger against me without a cause and who hate me. It is time for you to work, O Lord. They have made void your law. Lord, we know it's nothing for you to help. Help us, O Lord, our God. Save us according to your mercy. Let our hands prosper and prevail against our enemies. For the Lord is with us as a mighty, terrible one. Therefore, our persecutors shall stumble, not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed, for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. And we shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, that those who live godly will suffer persecution. We thank you, Lord, to help the Peshmerga forces fighting in Iraq. We thank you, Lord, for a speedy release of their uh, weapons that they need from the Baghdad government. I thank you, Lord, that somebody in that government will look at that paperwork and will process it through and will speed it through to help these people to fight and hold back this evil ISIS. I thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. We thank you that ISIS has started to turn upon themselves and have started to uh, fight themselves. Father, we thank you for that infighting of the enemy that always causes confusion and keeps them from prevailing in Jesus' name. We thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that all forces will be able to get their help, that their need, that this is an old... Um, a community fighting force, Father, and I thank you, Lord, that people 
that want their country to be safe are rising up, that even amidst the rumors that they don't help themselves, we know that's not true, and we know that these people are there to fight and to hold on to the life and the, uh, the country that they love. They're fighting for their families. They're fighting for everything that they hold dear. And I thank you, Father, that you can send the gospel to these people. You can send truth to these people. You can send freedom to these people. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. And we pray for the persecuted church. We thank you, Lord. We pray for Ahante, who underwent emergency C-section after a church attack on her church. We thank you, Lord, that she had an emergency C-section after they were attacked by Hindu radicals on April 15th at the Full Gospel Church. Members of the Singh group rushed to the church and told the Christians they would be killed if they continued to pray. When some of the believers continued to pray and sing, the radicals began shoving and pulling church members. A young pregnant woman was thrown to the ground, causing deep pain and stress to her unborn baby. After an emergency C-section, she and her premature daughter are both doing well, and we thank you, Lord, for healing her in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. We pray for the family of the murdered pastor uh, <clears throat> in uh, uh, Pastor Riol, and we say uh, that he was reportedly left his church building at 2 a.m. and his mangled body was discovered at 8 a.m. He is believed to have been killed by North Koreans who likely returned to North Korea after committing the crime. He was known for helping anyone who came to China from North Korea. He would provide practical aid such as food and clothing and introduce each person to the gospel before sending them back to North Korea and share Christ and help their families. And we thank you, Lord, for his family. We thank you, Lord, that he has helped the orphans. And we thank you, Lord, that those people who killed him are forgiven. And we thank you, Lord, to bring them to repentance, too, in Jesus' name. We pray for uh, Uzbekistan. The Uzbek prisoner was given a disappointing news that a mid-year parole from prison will not happen. Fellow Christians say that the 33-year-old convert from Islam to Christianity has suffered a number of difficulties since his imprisonment in 2010. Many believe that officials used false evidence to punish him for his Christian faith. Under Uzbekistan laws, parole is given to those who have completed more than a half year of their sentence. Officials did not elaborate on why he will not be paroled even after serving more than six years. So, Lord, we just ask you to parole this man. We thank you, Lord, that people are sending him many letters of encouragement. And we thank you, Lord, to let him be encouraged until his stay is over. And we bless you and we thank you and praise you for coming to his aid in Jesus' name. We pray for for, uh, um, grace in Uganda. We thank you, Lord that she has been persecuted for her Christian faith. We thank you, Father, to uh, set her free from this persecution that she is going, Lord. We see that her husband uh, died and left her a widow. Uh, He was a Muslim and she was a Christian, and now his family is pressuring her to uh, convert to Islam and marry a Muslim man, and she continues to resist. We thank you, Lord, to help her as she continues to resist. Father, we uh, know that her son was converted because he was a Christian before he died. We say, Lord, that she suspects that the Muslim poisoned her son and that caused his death. So we ask you to heal her from her wounds of losing all of her family. 
to this war. And we thank you, Lord, for uh, getting her into a place of peace and safety in Jesus' name. We pray right now for this pastor in Pakistan, Pastor Gafur. Uh, we say that uh, he is now more than six years into a life sentence in prison for his Christian faith. No judge or attorney is willing to hear his appeal. He was accused by his neighbors of burning pages of the Koran in 2009. Pakistan's high court has re- report- repeatedly delayed his repeal, leaving him to languish in prison. Police arrived at his house just in time to stop a mob from killing him. Though both he and his father had been beaten viciously by the mob, police arrested him but none of his attackers. Radicals gathered in front of the police station where he was detained and hurled rocks at the building calling for his death and shouting curses saying Christians are dog, Imran is a dog. He was eventually found guilty of blasphemy and sentenced to life in prison. Afterwards, neighbors told Imram's family to leave the area because no one in the community would allow them to continue to operate their businesses. They lost both the family's primary breadwinner and their role in the Christian community. And Voice of the Martyrs has been supporting the family and remaining in close contact. We thank you, Father, for mercy for this man. We thank you, Lord, also for Asa Bibi, uh, who is also in a Pakistani jail, that she was sentenced to death. And we thank you, Lord, to uh, bring about her release. And we say, Satan, you cannot keep these people. You cannot take their lives. We say their lives are in, in God's hands. And we thank you, Lord, to release them to their families and bring about their speedy release in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, Pastor Imram says he is glad for the time he is spending in prison and he is studying the word. And we thank you, Lord, that he is drawing close to you. And we thank you to draw, draw close to him. And we know you will not turn him away, Father, as he draws closer to you, as, he, as it is his will to do so. And we thank you for this, Lord. We bless you and we praise you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen, 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 amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for coming to the aid of your body. Thank you, Lord, that the people who are in prison belong to you. They are entitled to divine protection. They are entitled to a greater walk with you. They are entitled to great peace with you. We thank you for it, Lord. We count it a blessing to be able to pray for these people. Father, we thank you that as we pray for them, we pray for ourselves. That this, the end of persecution of your people in this nation will cease in Jesus' name. We will rise up and defeat this enemy right where he stands in Jesus' name. We say the power of God will increase because of the pressure put on the people of God. I say these watered-down pastors will repent or move aside in Jesus' name. This watered-down gospel is, for, is, is not for us, Father. We want the word with demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Lord, to pour down your power, rain down your power in this nation. Rain down your power down here on earth, Father, in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Lord, for answering this prayer. We bless you and we love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Amen. 
So if you want to put on some, put on holy, 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 Miss J-Lo, please. We'll get the atmosphere in here conducive for the glory of God. Amen. To pour out on us. To help us to process everything that God has given us so that we can know not to be discouraged. These stories about martyrs are not told to discourage us, but they're told to strengthen us and give us a resolve in our faith. Amen. That we can do in like manner and that we can resist this enemy. We can be like the Peshmerga. We're older than they are in in resisting the enemy. Amen. We know how to resist him and stand in truth and what God wants us to have. Amen.